morning, everyone. Summer's arrived. <laughs> Hooray! Have you seen the weather forecast for the week? Very exciting. Anybody who needs to top up their tan. So as Andrew said, we're uh, starting this week just a short three-week series revisiting uh, some of our core values um, as a church family. Uh, the priorities, the principles that we believe are absolutely core to making us who we are. And uh, I think it's great to have a refresh of these things. I'm really excited about this little series. And today, as Andrew has said, we are kicking off with being a people of worship and prayer. And clearly, worship and prayer are two sides of the same coin because they're connected. They're, they're both um, about, aren't they, our connection with God. And actually, this morning, because it's such a big subject and uh, we haven't spoken about worship as recently as we've spoken about ch- prayer in this uh, church family, I'm going to major in on worship. We're just going to think about for a few moments why worship matters so much. We spend, you know, you'll have noticed this morning, we spend quite a bit of time singing out our worship. Why do we do that? Why is it important? Maybe you're in a season where you could really do with a fresh touch of God on your life. Maybe you're feeling really dry. Maybe you're feeling really uh, burdened. Maybe you haven't heard his voice for a while. Maybe you're longing at the beginning of this new term for fresh uh, wind in your sails. Maybe you're crying out for the embers in your heart to be fanned into flame again. I believe that God has something to say to us about this through his word this morning. So if you've got a Bible or a phone. I want to encourage you to get it out. The words are going to come up on the screen. We're going to look at a story in Luke 17. But as you're, uh, you know, finding your gadget or your your paper Bible, they're good good to keep hold of those paper Bibles. If you have a relationship with God, or if you're considering following with Jesus and you're following Jesus and you're here and you're sort of exploring or thinking about this whole invitation to relationship with God, let me just remind us uh, of two things. Jesus said all kinds of things about worship, but I want to remind us of two things in particular that he said. He said, as he was facing his temptation in the desert, as he, in the wilderness, as he was facing the enemy, he said, uh, he declared to the enemy, worship, I'm called to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It was Jesus expressing a core value of his life, of his calling, of who he was. He said this, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then in John 4, very familiar story with the woman at the well, he talks about the fact that the Father is seeking worshippers, that God is looking for worshippers. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think of the word worship, whether you think about just a song, whether you think about it as a kind of genre of music that you stick, it, stick on your, your kind of Bose speaker or whatever while you're doing your chores in the kitchen, whether you think about your personal relationship with Jesus. We'll come back to uh, this in a moment. But clearly, worship is a priority for God. The Father is looking for worshippers which might seem a bit strange. If I was to say to you before, you know, two minutes ago, what's the father looking for? You might say, well, the father's looking for evangelists, or the father's looking for missionaries, or he's looking for servants, or he's looking for people that are going to go and do his will. He's looking for great preachers. He's looking for prophets. He's looking for apostles. He's looking for carers. He's looking for leaders. He's looking for entrepreneurs. He's looking for campaigners that can change the world. But Jesus says... The Father's looking for worshippers. He's looking for worshippers. Is that what you would call yourself this morning? 
Would you say, I'm a worshipper? He's looking for sons and daughters who love him, whose affection and admiration and awe is in his direction, is directed at him. Why? Because worship is about, ultimately, is about the heart. And the heart is key to all things, isn't it? Our hearts are like a rudder on our lives. And whatever has our heart, you know, we're going to go in that direction, aren't we, ultimately? We're going to pursue whatever has our heart. The Father is looking for worshippers. Is that you? The New Testament word, for any of you that like learning a new language, (laughs) here's a word. I think you pronounce it proskuneo or something. Yes. Oh, I've got a tick from the, the Greek teacher there. That's the New Testament word that is most commonly used, translated as worship. It means to kiss, a bit like a dog licks a master's hand. It's a term of affection. It's a term of reverence, of awe, of of connection. And the Father cares more about our connection with him than our contribution for him. It's not that he doesn't care about our contribution, but ultimately our contribution flows from connection and affection, like I've just said. So let's read this story and just look briefly at what it has to teach us about the power of worship, why it matters, why it's so important, why God cares about it so much, why it matters for your family, why it matters for your home setup, why it matters for us as a family of believers, why we're so committed to worship, the expression of worship as a core uh, value here for us uh, in Trinity. So Luke 17, eight verses, verses 11 to 19, I'm going to read them. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria, and he entered a village there. As he did, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now, quick pause here. Let's just notice here. It's not core to what I'm talking about, but it's really significant, I think. The order of what goes on in this little section of the passage. Jesus says, they cry out for healing. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. And there's this little phrase, as they went, they were healed. They went without being healed. And on their way, having obeyed what Jesus said, their healing was released. His his power was released into their bodies. Friends, this isn't a formula, but this is one of the ways that God works. He speaks to us and he expects us to do something before we see his power released into our lives. That's not how he always works, but that is sometimes how he works. So maybe, you know, it's a good thing to ask ourselves every now and again when we're contending for something, praying for something, longing to see something happen, some kind of breakthrough in our lives. Has God actually said something to me and he's actually waiting on me to do what he's asked me to do? And as I do it, his power will be released into my life rather than me still waiting on God good question to come back to every now and again. Okay, verse 10, uh, sorry, verse 15. One of them, so they've gone off, they've been healed as they go. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for all that he had done. This man was a Samaritan. I don't know why the text puts that in there, but possibly because the others were Jews. Remember, Jesus is on the border, and this guy was clearly not one of the Jewish people that at that point Jesus had come to reveal himself to. Jesus asks, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? 
Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus says to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, I don't know if you're the kind of person who, when you do something for other people, when you make a bit of effort for other people, you like to be appreciated. You like to be told thank you. You like to be sort of seen and noticed. We had, um, some of you might have seen them last weekend because they came to church. We had some Japanese students staying with us for uh, a number of days uh, over the last couple of weeks, which was actually really fun. A charming couple of girls. And uh, it was hard work. That was okay because we were being paid, for, paid to do it. You know, nice bit of pocket money. Um, but even though it was hard work and we, were being, and, and we were being paid to do it, they could not have been more appreciative. They gave us gifts. They wrote us thank you notes. They cleaned their rooms without asking. They could not do enough. They kept saying thank you. In fact, they left thank you notes for us after they had left. And do you know what? Their gratitude and their appreciation really blessed me. It really blessed me. And it actually made me want to do more for them, to make their time even better. Look at Jesus' comment in verse 18. If you ever wonder whether your gratitude, whether your praise, whether your worship makes a difference to God, listen to what he says. I don't know whether his tone, where are the other nine? Didn't I heal some more? I don't know whether that's shock. Where are they? You know, why are they not back here? Whether it's disappointment, we can't tell. But Jesus' first response to this leper is, where are the rest of them? Why haven't they come back? Why haven't they come back to thank me? Why haven't they come back to see me? Why haven't they come back to connect with me? Didn't they want to glorify God? Well, at least there was one. I don't know how you picture this leper. He's shouting. He's shouting his praise. He's making a loud noise. And then he's on the floor before Jesus on his face, praising the Lord, thanking him, whatever. His response to Jesus was a whole body one, wasn't it? It wasn't a sort of British, you know, just make my way through the crowd, find a bit of space. Thanks, Jesus, you know, passing him a note. It's all out there. I love it. And Jesus says that this man is giving God glory. He says his response is giving God glory, that the Father is blessed by this guy's response. And do you know what, friends, I've needed to remind myself about this this week. I think we can make make our relationship with God so much about what we receive from him. And the Father is a generous giver. He gave his son, and the Bible says, Romans says, he, you know, if he's given his son, won't he give us everything else that we need? He is a generous giver, and he offers us so much. But actually, Jesus says it's more blessed for us to give even than to receive. And the way we can give and bless God with something that he hasn't already given us is to give him our thanks, our praise, and our worship. Now, of course, worship isn't limited. We've got him, this guy shouting his thanks, or maybe he's on, his, he's on his face thanking and he's shouting his praise. Worship isn't limited to giving God thanks and praise. Let's just make that clear. If you want a distinction between thanks and praise, you, know, you might want to think about it like this. Thanking God is thanking him for what he's done. You know, I thank you, Lord, that you've done this, that you've, you've saved me, that you provided for me, that you, you answered that prayer back then, that you've given me breath in my lungs today, that I've got a friend that calls me when I'm whatever. It's, it's thanking God is, is, is connected to what he's done, what he's done for me, what he does for me. 
Praise is essentially connected to who he is. You know, praising him for who he is. You're good. You're great. You're faithful. You know, you're a promise keeper. Thank you for being those things. It's recognizing his goodness and his greatness. And worship is primarily an attitude of the heart. It's what's happening in my heart. It's my heart, you know, recognizing that here is a king, here is a God that deserves my affection, you know, my response, my service, whatever. Worship is an attitude, but thanksgiving and praise are intricately connected to worship. They're like the hors d'oeuvres. They soften up our hearts. They move us towards that place where we do, like this guy, end up having the, the, the opportunity, if our hearts are orientated in that direction, to bow down and recognize he is the one that is worthy of my life. They're connected for that reason. And that's why in the Bible, this word worship is so often used in the same context as the words praise and thanksgiving. It's also used in the context of a physical posture. This guy's on the floor. You know, the Psalms are full of, you know, come let us bow down. You know, they're all interconnected. So it's not limited to giving God thanks and praise, but they are connected. So let's take a moment. I just want to, you know, encourage us to take a moment this morning to ask ourselves, you know, what this dimension of our relationship with God is like in terms of our giving him thanks and praise. How freely do we give him thanks? How freely do we give him praise? And I'm not just talking about on a Sunday morning. Do we find it easier? Trinity, tell them to grumble about the stuff that is going on in our lives, to focus on what's not happening, maybe even to focus on what God is not doing, to focus on the challenges, or to express our gratitude to him for what he has done for what he has done on the cross, for what he has done in forgiving me, for what he has done in, in reconciling me to the Father, for what he has done in adopting me, for what he has done in promising to love me with an unfailing love for the rest of my life, for promising me an eternity with him in heaven, for promising to uh, help me and to give me his strength and to free me and to heal my heart and to give me his guidance, his resources, to give his presence, to make his presence available to me every, every minute of every day, 24-7. Oh, how he deserves our praise and our thanks and our adoration. Here's a crazy story. A few years ago, I don't know if you saw this in the press at the time, a 16-year-old girl arrived at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in a rather, with a rather strange condition that baffled the doctor. She was short of breath, but she had no chest pain. She had no history of any lung condition and no abnormal sounds in her breathing. The doctors couldn't work out what was wrong. But when the emergency room doctor on duty pressed on her neck and her chest, apparently, sounds like the noises that Rice Krispies make. Anyone here likes Rice Krispies? Snap, crackle and pop, do you remember? Sounds like the snap, crackle and pop in a bowl of milk could be heard. That's what the doctor heard. And spaces, it turned out that spaces behind her throat, so in her neck, around her heart, and between her lungs and her chest wall, were studded with pockets of air, which is what an x-ray confirmed. And her lungs had therefore partially collapsed. 
Guess why? She'd been screaming for hours the night before at Harry Styles at a One Direction concert <laughs> in Dallas. I told you it was a strange story. And the exertion, bless her, the exertion had, opened, had forced open a small hole in her respiratory tract. Now, it wasn't serious and she did recover. But get this, she had collapsed lungs for a guy who was never going to do anything for her, who was never going to sit with her in her suffering, who was never going to offer her strength, who was never going to offer her anything. She had collapsed lungs for him. And I don't know about you, but whether it's crowds in the football stadium, we can hear the crowds from the football stadium in our house cheering when the team scores a goal. Whether it's crowds in a football stadium, or whether it's fans at a pop concert cheering their idols along. Do you know what, church? I think we've got a lot to learn from how some of those individuals, many of them, men and women, express their admiration, express their affection, express their awe, express their praise to the people in front of them. And with respect, I want to ask us, you know, do I cheer louder in front of my TV screen when my favourite team are playing? You know, is, my, is the freedom of my expression of joy greater than the freedom of expression of joy that I bring into this building here or in my secret place where I go and shut the door and I spend time with God? Do I think more highly? Am I more uh, vocal in my praise for, you know, Cadbury's chocolate? Am I more enthusiastic, you know, about some of the stuff that I love in my life than I am in my ability to declare my praise, my love, my affection, my gratitude to my God? I think we've got a lot to learn, friends, from some of these, you know, scenarios. But Hills, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what's going on in my life at the moment. You don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know what I'm wrestling with. You don't know what I'm crying out for. You don't know how dry my heart feels. You don't know how distant God is. You don't know what I'm facing. And maybe, like this guy, if I'd had the miracle I'm praying for, maybe I'd find it as easy as him to shout my praise and to get on my face and to worship Jesus. Do you know what? I get that perspective. I get that perspective. I really do. I'm somebody that would say that at various times you know, in my journey with God. I've been there myself. I actually think everybody who follows Jesus on this earth where we will have trouble, I actually think everybody faces times and moments and scenarios and seasons like that. Even David, the greatest warrior in the Bible, you know, man of war who wrote the Psalms, who danced undignified in front of crowds of people because he refused not to worship his God, you know, in an undignified way. Even he, if we read the Psalms, you know, faced moments where it felt inauthentic to worship God, to praise him, to thank him because of the circumstances that he was up against. I think that's why the Bible reminds us, there's a verse in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. New Testament reminds us to offer God a sacrifice of praise continually. Why do you think that word sacrifice is in there? 
Because the writer of Hebrews recognized that at times we won't feel like praising him. We won't feel like giving him thanks. We won't feel like worshipping him because life is tough and he feels far away. And a sacrifice is something that is costly. It costs us something. But do you know what fire in the Bible falls on sacrifice? It's sacrifice that blesses God. It's sacrifice that moves his heart, you know, towards us. Worship is always a choice. And friends, let's remind ourselves this morning, as this verse says, it is never to be based on our feelings. It's great when our feelings line up, you know, with how we look. Who knows what David felt like when he was dancing in the streets because of the Lord. But ultimately, giving thanks, giving praise, worshipping, it's a choice. It's not based on our feelings. It's based on our faith. We're a people of faith, aren't we? It's based on our faith in what we believe God has done. It's based on our faith in what we believe he has promised. It's based on our faith about the eternity that is set before us that we believe we are going to share with him, where we will be praising and shouting and worshipping and having such a great time all the time. And if we need to see this in practice, there's a guy in the Bible called Job. There's a book written after his name. It's quite a depressing book in some ways, but it is a good book. I love the fact that the Bible has everything in it. And and Job faces this series of tragedies. You know, they're all stacked up right at the beginning of this long book. But there's this beautiful verse in chapter one where Job tears his robes. You know, he puts on sackcloth. He shaves his head. You know, that is the sign, the physical Hebrew sign of mourning, of grief, of grief, of recognizing loss and everything else. But what does it say? Then he fell to the ground in worship. And the book of Job is full of questions. Job had questions for God. He had loads of questions. God actually had loads of questions for Job. <laughs> That's another thing. He had questions. It's okay to bring our questions to God. It's good to bring our questions to God. The Psalms are full of the encouragement to bring our pain to God, to pour out our hearts to God. God wants to, be, to, to receive us, for us to welcome us as we are, honest, authentic. And it's good to bring our pain to God and to pour out our pain to God, but not friends at the expense of our thanksgiving and our praise and our worship. It's not either or, it's both and. So here's the real truth that I really believe God wants to encourage us with this morning. Actually, totally counterintuitively, praise, thanksgiving, praise, and worship, you know, I'm I'm sort of dealing with them in a bit of a bucket this morning, is actually the best disinfectant for a broken heart. If you have a broken heart here this morning, I think God wants to encourage you that the counterintuitive move of praising him, of thanking him, of worshipping him in your pain is the best disinfectant for your heart. I have a friend whose husband dropped dead suddenly a number of years ago. And the Lord said to her, I'm going to heal your heart, but I will heal it in worship. And she chose, act of the will, in her suffering, in her struggle, to continue to worship God. She'd often you know, be up the front for prayer. She would go to worship services. She would put worship music on at home. She would sing her heart out in her pain 
and God healed her heart in that place. Worship it and and praise. It's the best disinfectant for a broken heart. It's the best source of strength for a struggling heart. If you're here this morning and you're struggling, I believe the Father's saying, worship me, praise me, thank me in that place because it opens up a source of strength. And I'm just going to pull out three things from this story that I think illustrate why this is. So back to the story of our leper who's back in front of Jesus. What he does here in returning to praise, to thank God, to worship him, I think it shows us three things which are crucial you know, for us as we walk through this world, this world of trouble, this world where the wind blows, this world where you know, we face all kinds of difficulties so much of the time. Firstly, praising, thanking, worshipping God, it opens us up to his presence Don't we need his presence and awareness of his presence, particularly in difficult times? This guy chose to bring Jesus an offering of thanks and praise. Who knows what the others were doing? Maybe they were all having a party. You know, maybe they were starting to do things that they hadn't been able to do all their lives because of leprosy. Maybe it was actually a sacrifice for this guy to leave the party and come back to find Jesus. We're not told. But he made the choice to do something that the other nine didn't. And what did that choice do? It brought him near to Jesus, didn't it? Jesus loved him far off, from far off. You know, Jesus didn't love him more because he brought his offering of thanks and praise to the feet of Jesus, but it brought him near to Jesus, closer to Jesus, into the presence of Jesus. Psalm 100, verse 4, we, we sometimes say it, you know, um, We don't recite it, but we speak it out here. You know, we're invited in Psalm 100, verse 4, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It's a picture of the same thing, that there's a way into the presence of God. The door is open. It's not like the door is locked. Jesus opened the door at Calvary. We're welcome into his presence. But there's an invitation to come into his presence. And what helps us to to have an awareness, an increasing awareness of his presence is thanksgiving and praise. Somebody said um, there's a gate. God's presence has a gate to it, whether we're skipping through meadows or wading through the mud. (laughs) We can go through it freely or we can stand stubbornly outside the walls, like the other nine, I would argue, in this story. And it's not that God ever leaves us, but a sense of his presence leaves us, particularly when life is tough you know, the waves are, are high, you know, the storm is, is raging or whatever, and we are, we are, our focus ends up shifting onto that. As we praise him, as we thank him, it gets our focus back onto him. And as our eyes are lifted and our focus becomes fixed on him, through thanksgiving, through praise, through finding things to thank him for, through choosing to praise him for who he is, he comes into a clearer focus. And I know that's true in my life. When I sit down and I choose to find things to thank God for, when I look back over my life, when I choose to home in on the things that he's done, it's like using windscreen wipers on a messy car screen. And suddenly, it's like, oh, Lord, I can see you again more clearly. I can see that you're good. I can see that you've been faithful to me. I can see that you've been with me. I can see those promises again. And it changes my focus. Secondly, so, so praise, thanksgiving, and worship, it opens us up to his presence. Secondly, it softens our hearts to his word. You know, something that God's been speaking to me about again this week. My ability to hear his voice is connected 
to my sense of my, 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 to the sense of my worship and my praise and my thanksgiving for him. We haven't got time to read it, but Psalm 95, I'd encourage you to read it. Like Psalm 100, there's this interplay between the words of let's thank God, let's shout our praise, let's bow down in worship. There's this beautiful sort of interweaving between these things. And the first few verses talk about that, but then the psalmist goes on to say, just after, let us bow down in worship, today if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. There's something about coming before the Lord in worship, opening our hearts up to his presence with praise and thanksgiving that softens our hearts to hear his voice. Where was this one leper? He was right in front of Jesus. He could hear what Jesus had to say next, and it was pretty epic. The other nine, they couldn't hear. And so if you're somebody who's longing to hear the voice of God, You haven't heard his voice for a while. Maybe God's encouraging you to look at your level of your life of thanksgiving and praise in your personal walk with him, because maybe the two are connected. Lastly, worship. It positions us, it, it brings us, it opens us up to his presence. It softens our hearts to his word. It also positions us for God's purposes. Yes, God is blessed by our worship, by our praise, but but he invites us to worship him because it blesses us. And this story shows us that it positions us for his purposes. Look at verse 19. What does Jesus say at the end of this encounter? He says, your faith has healed you. He's able to speak to this guy because this guy's in front of him in thanksgiving and worship. He says, your faith has healed you. Now that looks like nothing new. It's like, hey, we know that. He's already been healed of leprosy. Except the word used here is different to the word used in verse 15 for, for healing. And in verse 15, it's talking about they went off and they were healed, physical healing. What Jesus is saying here, he's using the word sozo which means rescue, it means restoration, it means wholeness. This guy, as he came into the presence of the Lord to thank him, to bring him his offering of praise, to bring him his heart, he gets a whole load more from Jesus. He gets wholeness, he gets freedom, he gets restoration. Something else happens in his heart because he's back in the presence of Jesus that the other nine all missed. Again, the Psalms give such a brilliant commentary on all of this. Psalm 50 verse 23 says this, he who or she who sacrifices, there's that word again, thank offerings, honors me and prepares the way that I may show them the salvation of God. There's this beautiful connection of the ebb and flow of what God does for us in his grace, our response to his grace through praise and thanksgiving and worship that releases and paves the way for him to do more in our lives. The Bible says so much about, about worship. It talks about it being a, a weapon. It talks about praise you know, being a, a sword in our mouths. There's so much we could say, but I just believe... You know, friends, family of God here in Trinity Chum, the Lord is wanting to encourage us in this season to push into passionate praise, thanksgiving in worship. Not just in this building together and corporate worship really matters to God because what we've been describing on a personal level happens on a, you know, within a body when we push into God together. I believe he's wanting to encourage us in our corporate life together but also in our personal lives at home.